I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ankara. I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter. We use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. I am director of the Fifth Element. I highlight Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. We're digging like that. 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 We're digging. like that I'm peace like that I'm always like is it cool to say that you're cool anymore <laughs> is it even a compliment to be cool uh, that's actually quite an interesting like I think that's deeper than you think because I remember like a uh, like when I say an album's cool like I, I just it's just it's just a it's just a it's like it's not overwhelmed it's, yeah, it's okay you know what yeah. I mean it's, it's all right it's, it's, it's cool it's cool <laughs> That's actually kind of that's actually kind of fascinating. Like the, the term "cool" is like, do you remember like because back in back in our parents' days, like "awesome" was about like like you know just like a really like oh like uh, like a really big like you know fireworks. This doesn't this is an awesome spectacle. Yeah. But then like skater and surf culture just took "awesome" down to like the doldrums. Like, awesome, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally rad, dude. Totally rad. Gnarly! I can't believe people still use gnarly, man. I watch skate videos now and again. I'm just like, we're oh, still using gnarly. Fucking. Bro, you should hear the way they talk. Like, I was walking through Newtown last night in Sydney, which is kind of like our uh, alternative area. And this guy just okay. came up to me and he was surfing. He's like, I love your hair, bro. You got totally cool hair. And I was like, why are you talking <laughs> like this? <laughs> We're not even near the ocean right now. Like, but he was yeah. clearly a surfer. He was wearing flip flops. It was freezing cold. I was like, all right, you're you're really committed to this. Like, surfer and skater stereotypes still like exit. Like, still oh. are on point, and I find that so fascinating. They don't even care, man. They just they they lean into it. They're like, yeah, man, this, so, is, this is us. Absolutely crazy. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? What have you been to this week? Uh, yeah, it's another shitty week, but I got into some great music. So, preach, Lil Baby and Lil Dirk, Voices of the Heroes. Uh, I don't really have a lot of time for people who call this mid because I feel similarly to how I feel with Soulfly with Rod Wave. I felt like the emotion and the passion in every bar on this is is palpable. Lil Dirk, especially, he's been working towards this moment for a really long time. It's six years since his debut album and nearly a decade since his first mixtape. And 2021, he's finally broken through because his album, The Voice, is running up numbers in 2021. And this is this album with Lil Baby is projected to sell 185k first week. That's a collab project, and like I think it could sit next to, you know, I think it's the best collab project since KSG, and it's it's really really great. I've always loved the way Lil Durk raps. He just runs all over the well. In the mainstream, in the mainstream, let me okay. preface that. Right. So uh, I think, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. So I, I just think that heavy. Uh, coupling uh, Lil Durk with Lil Baby is is masterful. You know, they both disappear down these rabbit holes together into cadences and flows, and their chemistry is great. There isn't a bad song on here. They sound fresh and menacing, but then they sound emotional and reflective, and then venomous and angry. 
Uh, I felt like maybe the mixing was a little bit disappointing. It's the same way I felt on Slime Language 2, where the beat was mixed a little bit too low. But aside from that, I thought this was a great project. Lloyd Banks, of course, of The Inevitable. I think the only way this album would have missed is if Lloyd Banks had tried to hit the clubs and hit the charts and hit the radio. And I think Fabulous falls prey to this a little bit. But on this record, Banks doesn't do that. He leans fully into what the people are demanding from him, which are just bars. I haven't run the numbers yet, but I would say that there are mostly third verses on here, which is very rare. A lot of 16s, a lot of bars. Some people were criticizing the hooks, but I can understand that a little bit, but I personally had no issue with them. I feel like every time Banks was on the song with someone else, it sounded really, really good. Benny, Styles P, Ransom, Vado came on here for a bit of throwback. But mostly it's actually just Louis Banks doing it alone and reminding us why he was such a commercial force in the 2000s. I think this album will probably chart around number 20, which is a far cry from his heyday. Like, he's a long way. And I think that shows how much mainstream hip-hop has changed just in the last like, 11, 12 years. It's changed a lot. We get Real Late by Peter Rosenberg. Now, no one would expect me to come in here and say this is an album of the year contender before it released, but this album is incredible, man. It's so good. The production really? is godlike. Like, it's Griselda to the max. Like, it just has that aesthetic, and the guest list is just enticing. It's enticing. It's delicious. A lot of people will question how Rosenberg can kind of make this album when Gigi Khaled can't, right? But the thing is, every single rapper here is hungry. Like Ransom raps, a soldier's prime is often wasted on war, never forget it. There's no credit for older rappers whose flows decline. That's a great couplet anyway, because he's rhyming prime and decline, but then forget it and credit, and he's like flipping. It's, it's a great couplet in just technically speaking, but when DJ Clue and Funk Flex were dropping those tapes in the early 2000s, late 90s, every rapper was trying to take their counterparts' heads off. Everyone was just trying to just annihilate everyone. Jay-Z on the same album as Nas in like 2001. That's a recipe for wild bars. And on this record, Peter Rosenberg, we have the new and the old school of the underground scene just taking heads on this, man. Westside Gun, Flea Lord, Stove God Cooks, Rock Marciano, Willie the Kid, Eto, Rashid Chapel, Homeboy Sandman, and then you've got Styles P, Method Man, Raekwon, Ghostface. Like, bro, come on. How is that going to miss? It's a crazy project, man. The production, the production is is bonkers on here. Like uh, Benji so Socrates, Buck Dudley, Buck Wild, BVLVM, DJ Skiz. I've only heard of Buck Wild and BVLVM. I haven't even heard of the other producers, but uh, I can't even I can't fault this record in any way. It's just like it's even better than Pray for Haiti. I reckon this is an amazing project. Does not miss once on there. Um, Definitely recommend people go check that out. Uh, Rome Streets, Genesis 1, 27. I thought that was really solid. I, I don't have much to say except that Rome Streets, I mean, it's never going to miss bars. You know, it's, it's a great release. And finally, Smoke Dizza, Hustlers Catalog 2. The opening song is really indicative of the energy of this record. Uh, again, I talk about Griselda, but the, the Griselda world is getting built around us, man. Westside Gun and Benny are on this album again. Um, Currency and Dave East are on here. Dave East, man. Dave East is such a such a great feature artist. Well, Smoke Dizzy is never in danger of being left behind or out-rapped. You know, Jay Grams actually came and dropped a brilliant verse on Stash House. 
but uh you're not going to catch smoke dizzy out like he just he doesn't you know you could set your watch to his consistency so another great project from smoke dizzy and this week was massive with regards to like my first on my playlist the first like 15 songs were all in this mold and that's where my heart lies in hip-hop like that's what i'm listening to in my personal time so it's really exciting when a bunch of records come out in that vein and I can just throw them at the top of the playlist. I'm sure people were really pissed off at me doing that because a lot of people aren't listening to this kind of music, but I felt like it was a real bar-heavy week, which was a very, very rare thing in the last, like, 18 months. So that was myself, Charlie. What about you? <sighs> yeah, um, I'm going to give that, I'm gonna give that Rosenberg listen. I, I, meant, I meant to, um, but it, it slipped off uh, my... Sipped off my radar because I heard a couple of people were talking about it, but uh, I just uh, didn't find the time. Um, but I did get into seven projects, I think, if I count right. Uh, started off with Georgia Ann Muldrow, which I was going to listen to last week, but didn't get times uh, for Weto 3. Um, I talked about her on uh, uh, What's Good this week, uh, last week, and uh, I listened to the album just before that, uh, you know, obviously just to you know get a taste. And I, 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 just, I just love her uh experimental ways man like we give we give we give flying lotus mad lib you know all this god tier props right and you know it, it's 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 warranted right you know they're great they are god they are god tier but george amal is right in there man in terms of just like the way she molds and just like just smashes together genres and not just any genres but just like just these super black sounds and just smashes them together into something beautiful every time it just fucking works so this is an instrumental album uh there are a couple of uh there are a couple of verses here uh, sprinkled here and there similar to a a very akin to like a ninth wonder zion series you know it's like you know just a couple of songs uh, that have it but uh, yeah it's mainly instrumentally uh done and it just shows off her you know production skills and uh and there's a fuck it, there's a fuck ton of it uh boom bap is my uh, home girl i think it's called Hang about i'm just trying to get the uh, uh trying to get the uh, uh track list up but yeah uh boom bap is my home girl banger just absolutely clean boom bap but all throughout this it comes through with like synths and jazz and hip hop throwback baps is great uh passing out is just oh so groovy uh action groove grunge piece is oh just so oh filth uh afro af and yourself at the end of that uh, end of the album just bangs uh old jack swing is really nice as well uh really really uh, gets your feet moving and yeah man it's just a superb album absolutely superb album and george amaldro needs to get more respect than she gets right now uh as a female producer and as a fem as and as just a general uh music producer uh, in general so uh shout out to uh jadine spelled j-a uh apostrophe i think that's the term uh apostrophe uh, d-e-a-n-e introducing jadine uh so this is ep little free free pack shout out to Monet for putting this on uh putting this uh putting me on this uh, she comes through actually very fascinating. It's only three tracks, but the way she goes about it is actually very interesting. Um, so the first track is practically nothing uh, in terms of just production and stuff in the background. It's literally just her. Just, uh, you know, just it's very poetic. It's like a sung poetry kind of thing. And it's very interesting. It actually impressed me a lot in terms of just, uh, 
you know, when you when you get a three pack, you just think, oh, you know, it's just gonna be three songs, just in general, you know, what I mean, just just stuff. But you know, this is kind of different, and uh, I re- I really appreciate the variety uh, provided in just those three tracks. Uh, just looking up uh, the the rest of them, but um, yeah, it it comes through very nicely, and uh, her voice is nice. Uh, the topics of conversation is cl- clean. Can't complain about that. Uh, there's a great feature along with her. I think on the last track, if I remember correctly. Oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, toxic with uh, Tiana Jade. Uh, that's that's great. That's a great track as well. They go back and forth. That's very nice. But yeah, man, it's a six minutes solid three pack. Cannot complain. Uh, the good people, the greater good, love these guys, traditional boom bap vibes all, at all times, uh, great just uplifting lyrics, uh, you know, they, they don't get bogged down in, um, they don't get bogged down in much, uh, they keep it fresh all the time, you know, decent features, I think Craig G is on this one as well, uh, where, where's the ting, where's the ting, ah, here we go, um, yeah, Craig G, DJ Ace, Oh god, comes through with some epic scratching on his track, Ace and Two Kings. Uh Nothing Left is great. Six Six Shooters, great. Uh, love the features on there. There's a lot of features on that. Uh, Lords of the Underground, come on, good lord, that's great. Uh the uh title track's amazing. Yeah man, solid album, solid, solid album. Really enjoyed that one. Uh I didn't actually put this in my list, but I'm gonna shout out anyway. Uh it's uh Shy FX and uh, Shy FX and breakage uh darker than blue this is an ep and uh, i love me some shy effects uh I, I just love me some shy effects uh the last track king's highway with mr williams bangs uh super bassy but uh, just got that dub element in it it's just oh, so great and the lyrics are boss um but most of it uh with uh, you know craig david on on an interlude tyler daly on i got you is really good uh, and Russ highly uh, Malcots Malacots, I think is what you say it. Um, it's on Rastafari, and yeah, it's it's mainly you know drum and bass kind of type music. Uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, then go for it. Uh, but Kings Highway is my track, my track. That that's just superb, just dub goodness. Uh, Hustlers Catalog Two, Smoke Dooza. Um It's cool. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, no, it's, it's a good album. I actually, I actually uh, enjoyed it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's got some solid stuff on there. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, if, you, if you don't make yourself laugh, um, you know, uh, you know, the first track, I'm, I'm good. Um, you know, currency's great, but uh, yeah. Um, Dave East, uh, it's just so, oh, so annoying when like someone's really good at features, but like can't just give me a decent studio album. Like, I, I, I every time I hear Dave East now, I'm just like. How did survival flop so hard? Like it just boggles the mind. Um, he's so clean on that. Uh, you know, Benny on Ramadan. Uh, I didn't like the f- the hook for that track. I think that was the track. I, don't, uh, I didn't like the. Yeah, 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 yeah. Put the yeah, sun that was, down, that was not like good sun down, yeah. like Ramadan. It's just the way it's said. It's just really weird, and like the beat doesn't mix with it very well. So it's just it's very off putting. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's, 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 the the verses on there are great, but the hook uh, it's not my not my cup of tea. But apart from that, um, yeah, the whole old album's pretty solid. Great features, can't complain. Uh, what else we got? John Robinson, King Jr. Uh, this is a uh, kind of shorts. I think it's under half an hour. Uh, entirely produced by Blue. Uh, so shout out to Blue. Uh, but yeah, King JR comes through some really good, uh, just like uh, uh, really uh, powerful uh, lyrics, and the production is really solid. Uh, it's really 
throwback, I guess, kind of a uh, sampling going on, like really old jazz thrown in with some, uh, with thrown in with some like you know traditional hip hop beats. It's very interesting and very eclectic. Uh, you rarely hear that kind of a uh, uh, that kind of mix, but uh, it actually works. It actually works. There is one track I, f- I, f- I feel uh, didn't work for me. I forgot what it was, but uh, apart from that, solid album. Uh, K- Children of Zeus. Balance, um, coming back finally after I think three years since their debut album. Um, you know, this kind of gives me floatry vibes, and I say that very, um, I say that very, uh, uh, apprehensively as I haven't listened to floatry in years, but it just reminds me of something like that where you know it's soulful. This is very, very soulful, but it's got the hip hop beats, you know, sprinkled in there. Um, but mainly it's just a very, uh, it's mainly it's just a, a kind of a sung thing going on. Uh, but yeah, it's a really good album. I actually really enjoy it. I love the, funny enough, I love the balance of it. <laughs> it's actually very well balanced, uh, very, very uh, well seasoned. Uh, they got very, uh, they got, um, uh, one of them, one of them sings, one of them raps. And, uh, you know, I feel like I, pr- I feel like I would have preferred more of the rapping, but um, that's maybe just me and what my tastes are, but, you know, overall, from what the album is objectively, I can't hate on it. Uh, the middle of the album's so good. Nice and sweet, bangs, balance is great with the Ke- Akimi Fox and Georgia Sweet on there. Uh, Cali Dreams is epic, love that track. Um, and the, and the bookend tracks, uh, Sunrise and Sunset, are just so, just absolutely amazing. Care, love, uh, absolutely love that. And then, uh, going to some, uh, small stuff, well, not small stuff, but, um, some stuff that was sent to me on email. Uh, Max EP and Nuff Z, spelled N U P H Z E D, and M A C Z E E P. When the when the light got tripped, uh, this is uh, I think uh, I think Nuff said I think he's European uh, producer if I remember correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. And Max EP is a uh, British uh, artist, and uh, yeah, the beats are very nice. I actually like the beats; they're very clean, uh, uh, very chilled. Uh, Max EP comes through as a really uh, kind of like a one of them like spoken, not spoken word, but like he's speaking, like a speaking delivery, if that makes any sense, um, in just his tone and style. Uh, I would actually like to, uh, I'd be interested in, in seeing like what he does if he was like performing live and uh, how how his energy would uh, correlate between, you know, live and recording. Um, I'm just wondering about that because on the recording, it's very calm and very, um, I don't want to say pulled back, but just you know, just very that like there, there could be there could be an explosion there of like emotion. Uh, I feel, but uh, you know, that's if that's his style, that's his style, and I, uh, you know, and that's that's all well and good. But yeah, man, it's only twenty six minutes, so if you guys want to give that a spin, give that a spin. And lastly, K prayers and snow goons uh, that come up. I really like this. Uh, it's actually a little bit of Griselda vibes in in this one. In in terms of production, I guess um, there is one track. I think it's tough times. Has a, a Mark, uh, Marco Polo on the on on the on the production, and I love me some Marco Polo. Uh, but the rest of it is pretty much Snow Goons, if I if I guess correctly. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's some solid stuff. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it's only uh, it's only twenty two minutes, so it comes very comes uh, comes by uh, very quickly. But yeah, man, it's a it's a real a real solid piece of work. Shout out to K Prez and Snow Goons. <sighs> and with that said, that's that's uh, I felt like a. I feel like I haven't listened to that many projects like in a while. <laughs> uh, not since uh, I guess a uh, uh, crisis week uh, and Corday and that. But um, 
yeah, solid week. And uh, with that said, we shall jump into our uh, topic of the episode. We're doing a retrospective of one of my favourite groups of all time, Diggable Planets. Um, I I actually saw these. I actually saw this group live, and I didn't know until I actually went, <laughs> came into the building. <laughs> so the story is, it was uh, uh, they were supporting Lauren Hill. And uh, obviously, you know, Lauren Hill was coming to London and uh, I think it was for the 20th anniversary of Miseducation and, uh, you know, I had to get on that. Uh, me and my sister went. We got some, you know, very high, but, you know, decent seats, uh, you know, not, not not the best, but, you know, visible. You can see them, um, but just very far back, like in the back of the arena, basically. Um, but yeah, I, I came in. And I think it started with either Diggable Planets or Corey Henry and the Apostles. I think that's the name of the group. I know it's Corey Henry and something. Um, but yeah, I don't know who was first. But uh, Diggable Planets came out and I was just like, Oh, oh Diggable Planets, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> I was just freaked the fuck out. I was just like, oh my gosh, do you know who that is? My sister had no idea who Diggable Planets were. But I was just fucking jamming, jamming, jamming. I was just going off like nobody. Like, it, was, it was one, it was, it's, it's at that point where like... Uh, for some reason, you know, people don't come in uh, for the, for the, uh, they come in just for the main night. This is one of those kind of events. It's in the arena, in the O2 in it. So, you know, we, we were early technically. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just absolutely having a ball, man. I was having a ball before Lauren even came through 30 minutes late. Um, that's not well, a shot. That's just fact. That's not I know, bad. exactly. That's good. That's fucking good. But people are still complaining, believe it or not. Anyway, um, that's for it. Uh, I think I had, I think I think I actually did that uh, on the lighter note that week. I think uh, when we when we yeah because it was it is it, it was within two years ago. I do remember ranting about it on here, so that's kind of funny. Nice little full circle moment. Um, but yeah, uh, Devil Planets came through and I just got so gassed. And uh, unfortunately, the sound wasn't too great in the arena. I don't know if it was because of where I was placed or just the sound in general. Uh, I think one of the reviews for the show said the sound was a bit, uh, sound was off, and Lauren was trying to sort it out, like during the, uh, during the performance, which makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's probably that. But I just, I just really wish like Diggle Planets can come back and do something like in the jazz cafe, something more intimate, and just you know have a have a ball on that front because Diggle Planets, in my view, just have this essence about them, and you know we've only got two albums to talk about. Um, but just in those two albums have given me just like a really, uh, essential, uh, catalog in how, you know, the subgenre of jazz rap should be done and just how it should be approached. And, um, I just, I just, I just love, I just love their essence, man. I, I just love the essence of Diggle Planets and what they and what they are about, and how they went about the music specifically, and just how they uh, coordinated those tracks uh, and the out al- and the two albums they did. Um, yeah, you know, I could obviously it's obviously one of those cases where I wish there was more, uh, but it is what it is, and uh, you know you take what you get. And uh, we got two freaking great albums to talk about, in my opinion. I don't know. I, I, have you actually listened to Digital Plans before, Ben? Before this week? Yeah, I mean, there's that's part of. Uh what I'm going to talk about when we get to their second album. But, um, okay. Yeah. Mm, so I have yeah. a little, okay. I have history with Diggle Planets as well, but. Oh, de- oh, oh okay. Oh, you, yeah, teaser, so, teaser, teaser. I know. All right, well, you're talking, so uh, go, go for it, bro. Well, 
I actually really like these retrospectives that we do because it doesn't really matter how unwell I am and how fucking paranoid and delusional I get. I get so excited to dive into these stories. Like last week when we decided we were going to do this, I was like, two albums within a year of each other? Like, that's a story. There's got to be a story behind that. And I really like to discover like the theme that runs through these groups and artists. And Diggable Planets were really intriguing, you know, it's like, bang nothing like it's it's a little bit of a slow play this story but it does come out between the uh the two albums i'll fully explain it but diggable planets they have like some of the coolest names in hip-hop history butterfly yep. ladybug mecca and doodlebug like come on man you know that's <laughs> ishmael butler uh mariana vieira and craig irving and they're perfect names for a group that was at the forefront of the jazz rap or even the late 1980s mecca actually explained their names in 2018 uh, she said the insect theory is embedded in communalism and the goal was to show that we as a people can work together to better educate ourselves and push ourselves forward. So, yeah, I found that interesting. The The origin story is really great. So Irving told Pitchfork uh, that at Howard University, he began hanging out with people from the 5% Nation and Irving was a DJ. Uh, like a lot of early influences in hip-hop, he was DJing out of his dorm room where he had a bunch of turntables set up and he met Mecca through this scene. Now, Irving was kind of the one in the spotlight before they became a group. Butler told Pitchfork he would see Irving around a lot and knew that he was also from Philly. So naturally, this kind of led to them conversing, as you do when you're young and you're talented and at university. Irving was the one who brought them together. You know, it was a vibrant scene at the time. They were all on the same wavelength. They ended up living together in Philly for a year. Mecca said that Irving and Butler began working together and they asked her to write some bars and they were suitably impressed. Apparently they went upstairs, had a meeting, came back down and asked her to formally join the group. So Mecca told Pitchfork she always wanted to be in a group but she had never actually told anyone that because she was worried about people laughing at her. So Irving said that Mecca had this like really cool, unique, offbeat quality that brought a whole new angle to rhyming that they hadn't heard before. And she was obviously heavily influenced by MC Light, Queen Latifah, and Roxanne Chante, but also artists from native Brazil, because she is Brazilian. And one common theme I love from all these artists around this time is the way they almost like fell into jazz rap. And Butler says this, and I'll say this verbatim. At the time, I wasn't thinking about musical categories. I was just using the samples that I could get my hands on. They were from records that belonged to my mum, my pops, my uncle. My father was a stated jazz aficionado, and he was into all the avant-garde stuff. He was a big Eric Dolphy fan. I feel like we've all gone through our own Eric Dolphy phase, like, you know. And he actually lists Cocktail Twins as an influence, which is really epic, man. I can see that for sure, especially on Blowout Comb, which had, like, these real instrumental expanses that are definitely befitting of one of the creators of dream pop you know so it's just really eclectic uh influences and once the trio was established they moved out to philly to start working on their career they managed to pick up a deal with pendulum records and they linked up with shane faber and mike mangini now they were producers and engineers who were enlisted to polish the album so i want to they're very very essential in this process uh the album was complete right butler had this whole treatment for it the concept irving says that the label decided that these two would be the best people to bring it home and these two producers and engineers had worked on native tongues projects so naturally the sound was heading in that direction and butler said this we had a record company coming out that was all they had to tell me 
I was so excited you would have thought we were going to Disneyland every day. So the origin story isn't like the most tumultuous, but it's interesting how they gravitated towards each other and found their sound. Um, yeah, I just found that fascinating. It's just it's a similar story to like a lot of uh, groups that we've met. And you think about the way hip hop is now and the way that collectives and groups were back then. We just don't have the same stories now, do we? Like we just don't have anywhere near the same stories. The way that these groups and collectives of people just coming together and like-minded individuals thinking, you know, we want to create music in this realm. Nowadays, every origin story you hear is like, oh, I chucked a few songs up on SoundCloud and some label found me <laughs> and then I got signed. You know, it's just a completely different energy that that even even like the late mid to late 90s, this this whole story, I, I didn't hear any stories like this. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the, th- the, the thing that uh, came, to, came to mind as you were saying that last bit was more about like in the retrospects we, we've been doing in the past few weeks, especially, you know, the recent, you know, groups, um, a lot of these, a lot of these groups just like splinter so, uh, they, 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 they just, they just splinter so uh, quickly in, in a lot of ways. And I think it's actually very rare like uh, you look at Outcast now, like uh, I'm trying, I'm looking at Outcast in a whole different light uh, compared to these other groups because, uh, you know, this is obviously these uh, these guys only did two albums, right? And uh, you know, we did Farsight last week, and you know, as a full group, they only did what three was it? Two, three, yeah, two, two, two albums. Two albums. Uh, you know, they they did two albums again, then another two with uh, with the with the group really splintered, you know, and. <laughs> obviously there's other examples but it's actually kind of fascinating thinking about the longevity of groups and uh, and how and how the dynamics just change in just just so quickly like the, the these guys you know obviously like you said two albums in two years like that's just so quick to just kill it off right like, just yeah. to just to straight up not do it anymore just like just just call it creative differences and <laughs> call it a day <laughs> like uh you know obviously they 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 still perform with each other now and again as i've already stated but wow, just no- nothing <laughs> no- nothing nothing else y- you guys got nothing else it's just it's just a bit mind-blowing to me and uh yeah i, I that, that's that's the thing i came away with when you were talking about that it's just uh how actually you know these these guys actually don't last too long. Like you know, as a modern example, Brockhampton, right? Not yeah. long. Like they yeah. did a lot of work. Let us, yeah, uh, yeah. We we could applaud that. They did a fuck ton of work. Like you know, they did three albums in one year, right? But shit, man, that was that was a that was a bright star that <laughs> shined brightly and died very as quickly as it shone. Like, it's, it's actually kind of fascinating thinking about that. And you know, you have to give props to something like I don't know, Public Enemy, for example, that are just still fucking doing it. Like to this day, like for fucking what forty, nearly fifty years, like that's some fucking epic, just consistency right there. Uh, to have that, and uh, yeah, man, that's it's really a rarity. Like um, to just have, I guess, a group, um, just keep together and consistently keep putting stuff out. As a public enemy is, uh, I think, the shining example of this. And actually, how many groups just don't last? And they, in in the words of uh, Robert De Niro and Limitless, uh, you know, shone a, a brief but beautiful light 
It's crazy. Yeah, and you can compare it to like rock music and rock bands, and there's so many. Uh, oh, oh, I was, that... I was wishing, I was telepathically saying, "Do go to rock, go to rock." It's so crazy how that is the case, and uh, you know, rock rock groups often have a revolving kind of door of of acts, yeah. and I think in rock, it's it's more about the name that's more important than the brand, rather than because you know the the lead singer is very important in rock music but even then like sure. you know you get groups like ACDC who switch their lead singer up you've gotten plenty of groups who've done that but yeah it's very fascinating when we look at we could say the roots uh we could look great example at, I mean, Tribe, you could say Tribe because they continued onwards. Uh, the only reason yeah. they've stopped is because of Fife's passing. But it's yeah. it, these are these are exceptions to the rule, you know. And we could mm. we could say Outcast, but they don't do music together anymore. And there are rock bands with 20, 30, 40 albums, you know. They, they just keep yeah. on keeping on. So it's, you know, my favorite rock band is Placebo, and they're gearing up to release a new album soon, 25 years after their debut, and they're still together and that's a long time and so yeah it's it's fascinating the way that this this happens in this hip-hop and that's why i mean like this was a this was a it's a period in hip-hop that hasn't been recreated with with groups and collectives it just hasn't been done again we have label collectives but we haven't got these artists coming together that weren't just coming together around a label or a you know a deal or whatever They're, they're coming together organically and I guess we're seeing it a little bit more with duo albums and, uh, you know, collaborative pro- pieces like Future and Drake, Future and Juice World, you know, Lil Uzi Vert and Future. And yeah, yeah. We see that, but they're one-off things, man. They're not like... And yeah, it's not, yeah. It's really interesting the way that, that hip-hop differs from, from rock music in that way. I, I think just before, you know, we'll get on to re- uh, uh, reach in a second, but like as a final point on that, uh, going back to you, is like... <clears throat> I feel I feel like the ability to the ability to do that once you're established is super hard. Like you know, Kitty Ghost is uh, I think an interesting example in that front uh, where you know I feel like well I think it's probably been said, but like they clearly had that you know they they the, the Kitty Ghost could have happened in the past. 10 years at any point but they mm. just finally got to it at that point you know what i mean like it, it easily could have happened in 2012 whatever like you know in the years before uh years after like the man on the moon series it just easily could have happened at any point but they just finally got to it um but even with that i don't think they're gonna do several no, i wouldn't no. mind but you know it's a it's it's what it's just one of those flash in the pans that you're mentioning um but I feel like once and once certain artists are established, they just don't do it. They just, they just don't. They just you know they know they have good chemistry with you know uh, certain people. Let's say their career is like you know ten fifteen years in. That's a good point to just like think you know I'll do good with this person. Let's work with this person more because in jazz world they do that a fuck ton. Like <laughs> like if you have a if you have a good if you know a good horn player you're gonna want to hold that horn hold on to that horn player and have him in all your albums for the rest of your life like that's just how you're gonna do it um, but I feel like in the system that uh, hip hop is in at the moment uh, which I feel is very constricting I don't think uh, apart from maybe like a song or even maybe a one off project that is guaranteed to bang uh, commercially it's just not going to be done. And I don't know. I just find, I, I would love it if like, 
it became in like uh, in in the essence of like uh, pro wrestling. <laughs> it's a terrible example, but in 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 lieu of like pro wrestling, right? Where you where you you see two you see you see two wrestlers and you know they're good, and then they you know suddenly just form a team and it's actually fucking good, like and they and they're a team for a good ten years, and you know that's fun. That's fun. To, that's fun to know. That's fun to have. Uh, that kind of that kind of uh, uh, that that kind of longevity and just having them two artists that you know they're solo they they could probably still do solo stuff but you know they just decide to do the collab stuff like you know Blue and Exile for example I think that's a good example you know they're not consistently going to each other oh when's the next album we're gonna do when's the next album we're gonna do but you know they go off they do their solo stuff they always cross paths and you know when the inspiration hits. They do something like Miles, which was a couple uh, last year. So, I, I I just wish there was you know some essence of that where you know you know you can still do on your own, but you know if you find a good if you find a good person that you feel good with, then you know keep keep doing shit with them. Why why the fuck not keep doing shit with them? And it happens with you know certain rappers and producers several times. I feel like uh, you know A One and Phonics is a good shout uh, from. Uh, Shout to nothing less, but um, you know that's that's I feel that's still a bit of a rarity. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a really fascinating. I mean, it might be something to look into in an existential episode because I really think yeah, there's this, a is whole a, this is this is this is a bites topic within a retrospective. All of a sudden, okay, <laughs> let's jump into a let's jump into reach in. Uh, uh, it's obviously the first of two albums, and uh, this is obviously the uh, the the you know the classic album that people talk about a lot. And well. Not <laughs> not these days i guess but you know just in in hip-hop lexicon it's it's mentioned uh in that uh in that era of the jazz rap era i guess or just the alternative hip-hop era <coughs> that we've uh, been talking about uh, for the past few weeks um this is one of those albums it's one of those albums that just took the that just took the jazz part of you know sampling and all that stuff and just made it the whole album and that's what it is from production standpoint. It's you know to see soft, you know, bassy, uh, uh, yeah, soft bassy tracks, but they have these horns and uh, and just all these jazz elements laced through it, either via sampling or otherwise, and it just just culminates into this really uh, just a trip, like a like a like a galactic trip but it's all based in like a a local new york cafe or uh, in some ways as well like when i listen to the the interludes that they have in between tracks uh some of the tracks you know they have the uh hey what's happening solid from uh from the start of uh, marvin Gaye's what's going on and it just it, it brings you back to like it brings you back to like uh, i get and uh, how i see it as like they're, they're just performing in a New York cafe, like a real intimate, a real live intimate show, one of those kind of things. But the way they talk and what they're talking about is very spatial. It's very galactic. So that's where I, that's why I got the two things and mashed them together. And that's what I get from this album, uh, just from a from an imagery standpoint. It's very imaginative. It makes you when you sit down with it, you just transport into a different space. And I just love that, you know, there's a lot of albums that try to do that, you know, that spatial element, uh, but I don't think this even tries, uh, to be honest, in that fashion. Um, they just do it with, you know, solid lyrics, 
uh, that you know sometimes borders on that on that uh, type of talk. But the music itself is just some really nice, just jazzy hip hop. Literally, what it is is jazz hop in full bloom basically so and uh yeah uh where i'm from has been on my regular rotation for fuck ton fuck ton of years now i love that track so much uh that particular track really gives me the vibe of like um it, it gives me the imagery of them just walking down uh walking down the uh, new york street and they're just going up to each other's like like one person you know comes down they're walking the street and then they go up some stairs knock on the other one's apartment and then two of them walking down and then they knock on the door and ladybug mecca comes through for the third verse like and they're just they're all walking down the street <laughs> it's just it's I, I just love the imagery of this album it's so it's 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 so relaxing it's it, you can go as deep as you want with it it's perfect as background but if you really want to focus on it it's it can be done as in that fashion as well it could be deep listen to it could be background music either way it just works for me personally and uh yeah man it's just a it's just a superbly consistent album yeah it's a great project man and uh, it actually went number 15 on the billboard 200 which is incredibly high for that time period in hip-hop for and an alternative hip-hop album. exactly Fuck. man <laughs> it was certified gold uh it's obviously heavily propelled by rebirth of slick which also charted 15 but on the hot 100 that charted which is another incredibly high placement and that song was on the year-end hot 100 list at 81 which shows it had great longevity it's certified, that song certified gold and it won a Grammy as well. So, you know, this is another example in this, I guess, alternate universe where throwback energy sounds really great in 1993 somehow because the album sounds 1980s, you know, it sounds late 1980s, but mm. it still sold incredibly well and it's a classic 86 review average. It's packed with gems, man. Like La Femme Fatale is a brilliant song about abortion rights. Love it. Last yeah, yeah. of the, the Spitty Oxes is that that's a really brave song about like the drug use of jazz artists you know yeah. the album is the album is quite dense conceptually and it might not appear that way on the surface but the title actually comes from an essay by Jorg Luis Borgs an Argentinian writer who penned a new refutation of time and i found this fascinating so <laughs> in this essay he argues that the negations of idealism can be expended, expa- extended sorry, to time. And this is the explanation for Wikipedia. I really like this. Just as George Berkeley denies that there is an object existing independently of our perception of it, and David Hume denies that there is a subject apart from a mere recollection of sensations, Borgs tries to demonstrate that there is no time. He proceeds on the assumption that if man is reduced, as according to Hume, to a collection of sensations then a single repeated perception either in one man's life or in the experience of two different men suffices to prove that time is a fallacy since this repetition will destroy its linear sequence so I, look i'm gonna, I'm gonna say on that that makes sense to me because perception of time is not universal right despite how oh, important no. look despite how important time is to everything we do it's not universal so there's a huge argument obviously that the physical world is impossible for anyone to objectively observe because we're perceiving it through our own filters so theoretically time must be impossible to objectively observe since it's all about perception thus 
time does not exist objectively, so it doesn't really exist. <laughs> so like that's where they got the name for this album from, the lecture or the essay that was arguing that. So I think that's fucking cool, man. It's really quite deep. And I think that Rebirth of the Slick really hit because of that bass line. Bro, it sounds so good, man. And I think that the fact that they brought on that that duo to, to polish this album propelled it, like propelled it so much because it's so well-rounded. Like every note is is perfectly quantized. Every mix is beautiful. No riff ever stays outstays its welcome. Mecca adds a brilliant element every single time. You know, appointment at the Fat Clinic is, is proof. They really needed someone who wasn't perfectly on beat, who didn't sound like part of the production. And she sits out ahead of it and she just adds so much every time she raps. Even just uh, ad-libs on swoon units. Uh, it's just really exciting and it changes the energy. And bro, how the fuck does Q-Tip end up in every story? Q-Tip is in this story <laughs> as well. So, um, you know, it was last week with Farside, obviously. This week, Irving apparently just saw Q-Tip randomly on the street and ran up to him to shake his hand. And he said, I didn't know him at the time, but I was a fan. I gave him props, shook his hand, and showed him the diggable single. I was so happy. I was like, bro, Q-Tip is just everywhere. It's just wandering around. Just legends are just running up to him. So, yeah, man. Cool Like That was obviously transformative for the group. Um, Butler said they went to Europe for a promo tour. And, and by the time they got back, the song had turned them into a household name. And when they won the Grammy, they used it as an opportunity to speak on consumerism and the obsession the music industry has with money and inequality. And Butler said, um, he says, it was something that was already on our minds. I mean, we saw things that way. We saw disparities and we still do. We didn't think to talk about it that night. You know what I'm saying? We just didn't think we were going to win. So we definitely weren't planning on what to say. And you know, this is what happened. Butler said his mind and heart was someplace else during the awards ceremony. And to me, that's the perfect contrast. You know, the glitz and the glamour of the Grammys, an award that so many artists are brainwashed to covet by the music industry. It's, it's a false economy. But Diggable Planets weren't built inside the industry. They grew up on jazz and free expression and college parties and dorm rooms and loose collectives of artists. And that was the beginning of the end for Diggable Planets because it sets the scene for Blowout Comb. And you look at the way that we've spoken about all the groups that we've done thus far, you know, except Tribe, I don't think they really had, I don't remember them having like massive fights with their label, but like obviously Digital Underground and Farside last week, both were very, very turned off by the label and the music industry. And they created projects that were designed to be the antithesis of what everyone wanted them to create. And it's the exact same thing happened to Diggable Planets. And I find it really interesting that it was all happening around this this uh, time in, in hip-hop where major labels were becoming incredibly influential. And this was basically the commercialization of hip-hop in the early 90s, mid-90s, where major labels were coming in and co-opting and taking these these groups into commercial success but also i feel taking the soul out of a lot of artists and i think that's probably a huge reason as to why diggable planets ended but the main thing is we'll talk about it on blowout comb which is their second and thus far most recent album yeah um i feel like uh the uh the commentary I always see with this album is uh, just one of it's there, it's it's, it's it exists, 
And I feel like Blackheim doesn't really get out, get the respect it deserves. Um, I remember uh, uh, some someone someone said like uh, someone made the case for Blackheim being better than Reaching, and I was just like, eh, you make good points, but no. But um, as as I listened to it today, in anticipation, obviously, I I I can make a case for it. I won't, but I can make a case for it. Uh, I I think the difference between something like Black Home and Reaching is the I think there's a willingness in this one to explore even more than they did before um I I because I, I, you know the the just from the just from the track lengths alone you know there's one two three four five tracks are, are more than five minutes and there's one two tracks are seven minutes and then borrow check which is 656 that's a that's that's a real that's a risk <laughs> that's a fucking risk like this this is not you know jazz albums obviously have these kind of you know erratic lengths uh of tracks where like you know you have the art of easy which is five minutes and then kb's alley which is two minutes and then graffiti which is four like that's that's jazz level inconsistency so, uh, so to speak excuse me so to speak um and i find that so interesting of how just uh they really just took it to that kind of that took it to that level of you know what let's do it let's, let's just let's just let's just dive deeper into it and i, f- I really do feel like they d- they dive deeper into their own uh eclectic nature um and just just explored it even more uh, there's a bit where, like, uh, I think uh, I found where they, uh, uh, talking about how they, they collected records from, uh, different countries, and, um, I find that very interesting in, uh, how people, how that, how it actually, uh, culminates into the album itself, and, uh, you know, most of the, most of the, uh, the samples I gather, uh, you know, uh, 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 Roy Ayers on uh, "We Live in Brooklyn, Baby." That's a classic track. Uh, you know, Graffiti has a slow motion by Roy Ayers. Uh, there's some Grandmaster Flash in Ninth Wonder. There's James Brown in Ninth Wonder. Uh, there's a lot of Roy Ayers actually in this. Um, and and also features. Like it doesn't say on the on the thing, but there's features. Like the fact that Guru's on Borochek is just just makes that track just so fucking neat. It just adds just speaking of cool it adds so much cool <laughs> to, to that track it just made like the, the track itself is cool you have the we live in brooklyn baby uh sample which is cool and then you have fucking guru oh get off my back that is disgustingly good uh and jerry damage on graffiti is, uh, is great as well um i just I, I just love the fact that this album really i feel uh goes a lot more there's a lot more experimental ways with this. Like there, like I said, there are tracks that are seven minutes, and it doesn't feel like that. If that makes any sense, it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel long. Like you listen to Four Corners, and it doesn't feel like seven minutes to me. It just feels like a really fucking good song that just so happens to be seven minutes. And there's a lot of times where that you know I listen to you know jazz albums here and there when I can, and sometimes these songs just drag on for a bit. You know, not everyone, but you know, there are a few. There is a healthy amount of tracks out there in the jazz world where 
the the track length is like 10 minutes and you're like i'm good with six (laughs) and uh you know they go deeper into you know lyrical ability um especially content you know they dip into uh you know nation nation of islam stuff black panther party stuff um you know and the the afrocentrism uh uh, pan-african attitudes that they have towards uh, both albums is something you know I I highly enjoy, highly enjoy and uh, really respect. Um, a lot of uh, obviously mentions of uh, uh, freedom fighting nationalist texts, uh, uh, black nationalist texts, I should say. <laughs> um, uh, no American socialism here. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen I've seen I've seen some you know reviews that you know shit on it for being very convoluted and you know very cl- uh, I guess clunky in that sense where like uh, uh, it's hard to understand uh, stuff like that you know but hey hey man jazz I feel in a lot of essences you know I talked about Jamie Branch's album last week and I loved it because of this fact the fact that something like this a legitimate jazz hip-hop album goes so many places and doesn't really account for time <laughs> funny enough uh time doesn't exist ladies and gentlemen uh how long is this podcast been recording don't know it says 53 minutes but that's a lie um and <laughs> just but the fact that they go the fact that they just dip into it and just fucking plant their knees into you know what i feel like jazz essence is about and why I love jazz, and why a lot of people love jazz, the fact that they go deeper into that, and don't really account for the fact of, you know, being, uh, you know, three minutes, three verses, out, you know, not being very, uh, what's the word, um, pandering to the status quo, it, it just adds more mystique to the album to me, and it makes me want to listen to it over and over again, to be completely honest, so I will say that I feel... I feel Blowout Comb is more replayable from just a fascination standpoint. Reaching is more replayable from just an enjoyability standpoint. But I would love to listen to Blowout Comb more often just to get that some that, that that new thing that I didn't get in the lyrics last time or that new I don't know, sound that I didn't clock the first time, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, actually, so this is my personal experience with this album. I've, I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction, but like Diggable, Diggable Planets is one of the first groups I ever found on my own. Uh, I remember oh, nice. search, searching, vividly searching for alternative hip-hop groups. Low End Theory, I had on a Burn CD. And when I listened to Black Ego, it threw me right back to like 2004, which I it was a song that I had on super repeat. And it was one of my all-time favorite hip-hop moments because I felt like I discovered fire, you know, it's like that staccato <laughs> riff. I Like, you know, listening to it now, it's, the song is still just really beautiful to me. And if you look at the landscape, like it was 94 and G-Funk had just exploded. Snoop had just sold 800K first week. The Chronic was running the world. And if you look at the way that G-Funk was... They were they were pulling beats in and creating like you know the way that Dr. Dre produced it was just so precise and concise you know everything the whole time signature was perfect and all the frequencies were perfect and that was the kind of direction mainstream hip hop was going even Tribe had condensed their sound you know on low end theory uh, Farside condensed their sound as well Zila as well 
everyone was kind of drawing their influence in and presenting a mm. more concise version of themselves. Maybe not Digital mm. Underground, but Digital Underground's always separate in these conversations because they're yeah, just crazy. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, out yeah. there, man. <laughs> but Diggable's Planet said, you know what? Fuck that. Let's get super jazz, like super long jazz stretches, loose connective flow, jazz interludes, classic instrumentals like Agent 7, huge open plan beats like Graffiti and Ninth Wonder. I don't know how Ninth Wonder works, but it just works. And it's genius, man. I, I really adore this album. And obviously that's even before we get to the, the political and socially conscious messages, which are all throughout this record. And the memories they said of winning a Grammy whilst people were outside, you know, the group had seen homeless people living in rough conditions. And it, it spawned this renewed focus on equality. Like lyrical themes ran through, as Charlie said, Nation of Islam, Black Panther references, so Butler actually took a trip to LA where he spent time in Watts learning as much as he could about black history. And Mecca said that the, the renewed lyrical focus meant it was time to be more direct on how they felt about things and the need to assess them. And thematically, I think the album is a masterpiece because rather than obviously lean into the commercial success they were pretty much destined for after their first album, they broke the whole idea of the origins of their sound down and... They reverted back to that performative feel of really early hip-hop and allowing instrumentals to run whilst MCs entertain the crowd. And it feels like a period piece set in the early 70s. You know, there's references to block parties, public housing, barbershops, Black Panthers, Freedom Fighters, all these nods to Brooklyn. And there was a writer called RHS and he wrote this and uh, I think it was he, might be she, I apologize if I got that wrong. Um... He wrote, they wrote this, and this was, this was really interesting. It says, At times, Blowout Comb functions as a reminder that hip-hop's Park Jam era tended to eschew downtown gloss in favor of dirty, improvisational, risky fun, and that the social ills that plagued the first generation of b-boys continue to fester unabated. For all intents and purposes, diggable planets exist in the same historical moment as KRS-One, Cool Herc, George Jackson, and Malcolm X. The references to these figures and numerous others can be rightfully interpreted as a marker of, insincere, of sincere engagement with contemporary social realities. Like, that's fucking cool, man. And that's, that's, that gives me that feel of this album, you know. It's, it's really backed up by the way that they basically rejected their Grammy in favor of telling the truth about society and racial inequality. And Butler told the LA Times... We made a concerted effort to be more literal and less abstract. The first album is lyrically much more abstract. The language is so personal, it's almost cryptic. No one who isn't real hip-hop can really understand it. And, you know, it got decent reviews. It's an 82 review average. But to be fair, those who criticize it sound fucking silly now. Like, they sound stupid. Like, Rolling Stone called it sluggish and formless. Which is a really lazy way of saying, I didn't understand this album. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you have to understand this album. If I had listened to this album, you know, like when I first, I have listened to it when I was younger. When I was, you know, it was like, what, nine, 2004. I had no idea what was going on. Like, I didn't know about all these deeper themes. Like, these are things that I would discover later in life. But to call it that, you know, is just silly. Chicago Reader said it, it fizzles out and they get distracted by their own rhetoric. Like, come on, man. Like, what are you talking about here? Like, I just, I think people were a little bit confused and they were thinking it was maybe 
artsy for the sake of being artsy, or it was dense for the sake of being dense, or it was complex for the sake of being complex. But it's just, I don't, I don't never got that in, impression from it in my experience. Like I never felt that way. And you know, it went number 32 on the Billboard 200 and Ninth Wonder actually charted on the Hot 100. And it's hardly a commercial flop. And you know, it was still at the forefront of conversation, but um, they they just did what all these other groups did. It's like, if you look at it from a 2021 perspective, and if I were to post these numbers on hip hop numbers, everyone would be like, oh, they flopped, you know, and they're, they're done, they're, they're, they're washed, they're rinsed, they're done. But it's so much different to that when you dive into these stories and you recognize the the mental space and the ideas behind the direction they went. And um, I mean, obviously this was their last album and I might just quickly talk about the breakup because it's interesting, like it's, it's it was like a clean cut almost. So Irving said, we're just human beings and we go through things, emotion, stress, ups and downs. We were also young and immature and dealing with certain things in life. There were obstacles because of the music industry and we didn't know how to handle it. But at this stage in our lives, we have kids and responsibilities. Back then, we were just wild. Uh, Butler said, when we split up, it was more about changing directions in life and creativity rather than having problems with each other. Uh, the, the, the main thing was Mecca's family had been thrown into disarray by some really difficult personal things. And she actually stepped away from music as a result. The record label was also giving them grief because Pendulum's parent, Electra, became EMI and the priorities changed. The label barely supported Blowout Comb and this kind of pushed the group to the edges in that sense. Uh, Mecca said there was no ill will whatsoever in the breakup, even towards the label. It just didn't eventuate. Uh, of course, Butler you know, had a sizable social, uh, solo career and he would end up in Shabazz Palaces and change under the entire course. I think, you know, I, I've always said this, is Shabazz Palace is one of the most influential uh, groups that do not do not get the respect they deserve. And I, I'll say it as well, you know, I know Space Goes Perp has had some interesting times recently, but Space Goes Perp was around that time as well and creating this kind of music. But, um, you know, Mecca sm- spoke at length about the group numerous times, saying that no album would ever eventuate but she had nothing bad to say about them ever. And, you know, they reunited many times, uh, February 2005 for a reunion tour, compilation project, 2010, 2015, 2016, live album 2017, Charlie also saw them. And yes, yeah, just um, Irving said in 2016, I'm a family man right now. Performing for me is true escapism. When I come together with the group, I get my freedom. Back then, it was more about saying what you want to say and being rebellious. But these days, it's about having fun and doing what I love to do. And I see it, the, the, the breakup is very natural. And therefore, I see both their albums as incredibly pure. Obviously, their first album, they created away from the major label system. They created it themselves. And then they got a couple of people in to make it sound polished, but they didn't change the direction. And then their second album... They said, fuck all this shit. We don't like this shit. We're not interested in this. We want to be rebellious. We want to go in completely super liminal in the direction we want to go and we get blowout home. And that's all we got. And we never got an album that was forced or influenced by anything else other than their own creativity. And I think that makes them quite a rare commodity in hip hop and just in music in general, you know, to have a group that managed to achieve commercial success but never once compromise their values at all 
Um, and when the opportunity came and they were kind of like, well, we probably do have to compromise our values now if we want to continue, they cut it. And I want people to understand how brave that is. That's not an easy thing to do. When you have a following, when you have a career, when you have a means of income and it starts going against your value system and you're like, actually, no, fuck this, I'm out. That's very brave and very rare in a capitalist society. So I've got to take my hat off to Diggable Planets and... um. Yeah, man, so it's a fascinating story. Yeah, man, they're incredibly just uh, unique in a lot of ways. And uh, the the natural breakup part of it is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's bittersweet, I guess, because it's just like, like, you know, like I said at the beginning of the topic, I was just like, oh, you could have, you could have. But no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's one of the things that, like, you know, you have to live with. And, you know, hey, man. At least they got an hour show out of it. They can do an hour show out of it, and that's all. That's all. That's all that's necessary in these in this life. So, uh, you know, if you got a good hour set, I'm happy. Just come through to the jazz cafe, please. I beg of you guys, if you listen to this, come to the jazz cafe, please. I beg of you. All right, we can leave it there if you want, mm-hmm. and because uh, you did a really good uh, outro, and I can't do any better. So. Uh, Hop into a lighter note, if you have anything. Uh, no, I don't really have anything this week. Do you have anything you might spark my creative ideas? <laughs> um, that's all right. Uh, creative ideas. Not really, well, with regards, like... I don't know. You gotta, I gotta create lighter notes because my life is dark as shit. So if I need to create a lighter <laughs> note, come up with some bullshit to talk about, like most of the time. I had a good date yesterday. I will say that. I actually, um, oh, the go. week last sun, the week prior, the Sunday prior, I had the the most polite and well, uh, well done rejection of my life. Like we went on this date, and I could tell within like a minute that this person was not fucking with me they were not interested in me at all but they were very very polite we went and had a cup of tea together they asked all the right questions you know it was just but there was no there was absolutely nothing i could see in her eyes that she was just not interested in me and then after like 40 minutes she was like okay i'm ready to go now is that all right with you and i'm like yep and then she walks me back to the train station and she said thanks for meeting me and then just walked off and it was so polite and so mature and so well done that mm. I didn't even feel rejected. I was like, yeah. "Wow, that was that was really well done." So yeah, I was I was I, I learned a lot from that. And then I actually had a great date yesterday, and uh, I tweeted about it mid date, and then I showed her the responses to the tweet during the date. It was it was a decent <laughs> decent technique, yeah. you know. It was um it was pretty good. It was, a, good. It was a little sneaky way to flex as well, like mid date. That's good flex. That's yeah, good flex. So like, hey, I just got like. 80 responses to this tweet just check this out and then yeah so it's a little bit of a flex so yeah man that's i like that that's good that's that's good modern day dating technique i like that i thought you have to have you have to have yeah you have to have 80 plus responses but that's good yeah i like that that's good yeah i'm i got a little bit of game man i got i got a tiny little bit of game i'm not too bad i respect it i respect it um yeah when you experience like a, a good rejection 
like it, you you just you just wonder like how the fuck did all these bad projections happen like why can't people just do this all the time yeah exactly <laughs> like, why can't it just be civil all the time it's just like yeah uh anyway but i was I thinking quick... like no i was just thinking how many people is this person rejected too like she's that good at it <laughs> mm. i was like holy mm-hmm. shit she is a she is a master of rejection like she's rejected a lot of people yeah I was watching an episode of Everybody Hates Chris because I'm watching that. I'm watching that all the way back, and like, uh, he he goes to a party like for older people, and he's like 13. I forget what the age he is. Yeah, 13, 15, something like that. Yeah, 13. And uh, a girl who's the same age as him is there, and uh, he <laughs> he asks her if he wants to dance, and she got she actually says no. But in his mind, it's like, no, why would I talk to you? Mm. Why would I talk to you? What the fuck are you wearing? What is that? Da, 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 da. Like, get away from me. Stop talking. Don't talk to me. Da, 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 da. But in real life, she just said no. And that's uh, <laughs> it's just so, that's just so fascinating. But uh, actually, I have a, que- I have, I have a question. It's, like, uh, it's, a, it's a more existential, existential question, but it's a question nevertheless. How, what's, why, why, why do you uh, participate? in okay i'll wear this differently as a person that goes through like consistent just battles with themselves right um however you want to you know contextualize that you've obviously told your stories before um as a person that has gone through their own personal battles and continues to go through them why do you date Mm. i mean i only asked that no go go sorry I, i asked that because like i'm I'm of the mindset uh, that I don't seek, uh, you know, on that f- on that front. I don't I don't seek to date, right? If I know somebody, if I get to know somebody, and I just organically rate them, then I'm going to say I rate them at some point, and whatever happens after that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't actively seek out to date, right? Um, for for the main main reason being. I don't feel personally I'm in the right space for it. Now, I usually say that from a place of just like, uh, you know, just life in general, like monetarily, career-wise, you know, all, un- all of the above, right? Just life in general. But more but more often than not, there it comes to the point where I'm just like feeling crap and just talking to someone new would be very beneficial for me all of a sudden. So I wanted to ask you, as per, someone who goes through a lot of like a lot of stuff, um, stuff is carrying a lot of weight there. But you know, <laughs> hmm. but, but allow it. Um, yeah, why, 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 why do you seek? I guess. Yeah, I mean that's a good question because like I've I've had this conversation. I was having this conversation with my friend the other day because dating when you have a mental illness is fucked. It's really difficult because at some point you're always going to have to drop a whole bunch of truth on these people that they might very well reject you for and they would be well within their eyes to reject you for it. And that sounds aggressive and not aggressive, but like rejection is just part of dating. Like when I say rejection, it's it's okay to get rejected. But I'm at the age of 32 now and I actually went through, so for five years I didn't date at all. I didn't do anything. I never went on any apps. I never sought anything out. And I have just gotten progressively worse psychologically. And so it's at the point now where I'm like, I don't have a choice. Like I'm, I'm either going to just be alone 
and just accept that or I'm going to have to overcome what I'm going through at least in the moment to actually go out on dates. And I do think that people with mental health issues deserving of being in relationships. I do think that there are people out there who are, you know, there are situations that you can get yourself into out there that are decent for both parties. You know, the mental health issue isn't going to encroach too much. You know, I've had situationships where I've dated people and it's not really been dating. It's kind of just been companionship. Um, But it is very hard. And I think you have to, like, I've got a couple of friends who are going through mental health issues and dating for them is torturous because they have rejection issues, they have trauma, and it's very, very hard. But I think also, like, I grow and recover a lot when I'm in a relationship because it forces me to do things that I wouldn't normally do and it distracts me a lot. So it means that I can get out of my head for a little while and spend some time with someone and, you know, invest myself in someone else rather than getting invested in myself, which is a pretty dangerous and fraught thing to do so um yeah it's mainly just out of the fact that i kind of did the whole not dating for a really really long time and nothing changed i didn't get any better i didn't you know it's just like it's at the point now where i'm like i i don't know if i'll ever recover from this and maybe i can't be in a long-term relationship maybe rejection will just keep happening over and over again because maybe no one is capable of being with me while i'm in this state but um, I'm not at that point yet where I've discovered that and I'm not at that point yet where I know that for sure. And so I'm kind of in the process of discovering that. So that's kind of why I still do it. It's not easy. I mean, last night was some, mm. the thing about it is like going on a first date is really anxiety provoking for a lot of people, but that's good anxiety for me because it's like real anxiety. It's about something that's actual in the moment. <laughs> right, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like a lot of the sh- well, 95% of the shit that goes through my head is, is fake. It's paranoia and it's delusional. Yeah. So mm, if I can, and sorry. that's why I stay on social media because if I get dragged on social media for something, that's at least a real thing. It's probably stupid. It's probably, I haven't really done anything wrong probably, but at least it's a real problem to deal with. Whereas, mm. you know, most of the stuff I go through is not they're just like it's not real you know it's it's fake so um yeah i don't i hope that answered the question but um yeah that's probably why yeah no that's um yeah that's very it's very enlightening um i always find first dates actually quite fun to be honest so i think oh, yeah. about that that's good yeah but, I'm a, but are I, these I'm a, like are these online yeah. dates or are these people as you say you've been around and you know <laughs> them a little bit because yeah. that's a difference thing good point yeah yeah no no i mean i have had that before like I've I've done it I've done it before like before by the like by the I was like eighteen or whatever but you know I, I I have done it before and that yeah the 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 first date literally like you know haven't talked to them much but you know kind of thing it, it is I I still find that kind of I that's what I'm talking about and I do find that fascinating because you know it's just like it's 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 interesting trying to get to know someone in a bl- uh, as like a blank canvas and seeing what they paint of themselves you know what i mean like mm. uh it's how i approach interviews as well which is kind of i guess what partly why i enjoy it so much because it's just it, it feels very similar uh but yeah i just like how i just like asking questions that allow that person to paint their own canvas of who they are and like and then just 
yeah and then just watch them watch them basically do it themselves in some way and just watching just it's just, it's, yeah, it's just like watching somebody be their own artist so to speak and just like huh okay so why 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 this stroke right here so it's fascinating yeah you know what i mean just getting very geeky with it but um yeah i i, I like that kind of, i like that kind of vibe um either way in the premise you you judge but um in the premise you put yeah it's it's fine it's fine in both i find it very i don't know it's exciting to me in, in that fashion just to get to know a blank canvas so to speak <laughs> yeah it's fascinating now, now, and I now think... when it gets when it gets worse uh, is when you know they the canvas looks shit but you know, <laughs> but some people do that that's the thing about first dates because it's like I, i'm never gonna reject someone off a first date because it's like i'm like no one's everyone's trying to put the best version of themselves forward but no one's mm. themselves on a first date there's just this like mask that everyone puts up in this outer shell that they want to project to the world and sometimes it takes but why though I don't understand. Like I used to do it, sure, when I was younger, because I was very insecure, secure, and I felt very vulnerable, and yeah. I didn't feel like I was worthy. And I think if you haven't had, yeah. you know, I've I've dated so much in the last four years that I've been with, you know, I've been with girls that I would consider absolutely ten out of ten in every way, and I've been rejected by them. I've dated them. I've rejected them. Like you get to a point where you're like, there's no. It's not about a conquest it's not about um you know propping up your self-esteem it's not about any of these things it's not mm. about all those toxic negative reasons why people date and go on dating apps mm-hmm. when you get to a and i'm not saying mm. this from a like i'm better than everyone else i was engaging in this shit like i know that the, the way that it goes like i was fully engaging in this shit and now mm-hmm. that i've done that for enough time and and been out on so many different dates and met so many yeah. different people I'm just like I'm ready to just be myself 100% on a first date and be like if you don't like this then good at least we know now because if I'm just going to present some version of myself and then give you the rest of it later on we're going to waste like two months of time you know and that's <laughs> exactly. I found, bro I've found that a lot with people who just they slow play they slow play their personality and so mm. you get it like in little tiny bits and you see something and you're like oh that's a that's a little bit rough I don't know if I want to but then they take it away and then they give you a little bit more a week later and a little bit more and it's never enough to go off. But then all of a sudden something will happen and the whole facade will crash down. And I'll be like, yeah. oh, you idiot. Like, why didn't you just tell me it was off rip? Like, we just wasted a month and a half dating. Like, this was – and I wasted all this money on Uber Eats. Like, fuck me, man. <laughs> Cause it's like, eh. And so, yeah, you end up – yeah, it's just a mess, man. I, I I don't know, Ben. All this honesty stuff sounds a bit beta to me. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty beta. I mean, it's certainly yeah, no. I'm no, I'm no beta, alpha. Bro. I'm no so. alpha. <laughs> I'm no alpha. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, one more note uh, is a record store day here in the UK uh, on Saturday and the next Saturday after that. Um, I have actually bought uh, refu- uh, Fuji's uh, Blunted on Reality uh, Mint uh, via a local uh, uh, a local record store f- based in Bristol, um, and I've got that coming to me uh, hopefully in the next week. So Sweet. happy record store day for those that are celebrating it. Go to your local record store or hit up Discogs and find a local record store, and just go buy something, man. That's 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 all that's all, that's all, that, uh, that's all that's necessary. But I'm just going to have the full Lawrence set finally. 
glorious. That's glorious. Dope. I can That's hang. Cool. I can, I'm gonna put all three up on my wall. Yeah, just just for the vibes. That's cool. All hail Lauren. All right, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Film Podcast Network. It's been Digging Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've been Chaya Taylor of the Fifilmi. I've been Ben of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. We shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take easy. Ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is entered by me. Music for the show is PC Media Games by bonus points. Visit your records for the digital use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and your records will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth element podcast network production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.